I think from if I look back six years ago where it was, and absolutely that's one positive of um, the pandemic, well-being is everywhere. Like I think what's happened to well-being in the last 12 months would have taken another six or seven years to get us to where we are. Like it's at the forefront in organizations. Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, my guest is Donna Riley. Donna is a consultant and a coach working in the area of wellness, executive and leadership. She's also years experience in wellness program and corporate well-being. You can find out more about her on donnarileywellness.ie. For more information about the Emotional Coach podcast and other episodes, please visit andreasplendori.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way independent podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The title tune is Paralyzed by Nevada. So Donna, um, let's start from, from you. Start from the very beginning. Tell me a little bit about what were you born and everything. Just a little bit of bio. Yeah, so I am a dub true and true, born and bred. Um, I was born in Dublin and lived in Dublin um, most of my life. I did a lot of traveling, um, which absolutely changed me as an individual. Um, but Dublin is where I am from. So my, my dad's a dub. Um, so my dad actually we're steeped in history. My great grandmother was the queen of Murr Street. Do you know Murr Street, where they sell mm. the fruit and veg? So she was the queen of Murr Street. And my grandmother um, worked there all her life as well um, on fruit and veg stalls. So we're proper dubs in our blood. And um, my mom's actually Scottish. Um, so it brings an added little extra flair to, to um, my upbringing. So I'm um, yeah, from Dublin, um, grew up in the north side of Dublin and went to a fabulous school. I, my, I went to a primary school and changed for secondary school and loved every second of secondary school and got a big shock when I went into college because it was so different and unregimented, which threw me asunder. Um, but I actually... And I was only thinking about this this morning. Um, I remember going to my guidance counsellor and she was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I just want to help people. She's like, OK, well, you're really good at maths and accountancy. Why don't we look at that route? And I was like, well, no, I just want to help people. She's like, well, I, I am. And she was a bit stumped as in, I don't know. And I was kind of saying to her, like you, like you help people. So like, I want to help people. I want to make a difference in people's lives. So we kind of settled on a degree in NCI called Accountancy and Human Resource Management. We kind of met in the middle <laughs> and I went on to do that. And I actually loved it. And I specialized in HR after the first year, which I knew I would. But it was great to have the blend um, of both. Um, and I finished that. So I think where the travel came from, I have an aunt who lives in New Zealand. So after sixth year, no, after yeah, sixth year, uh, first year in college, I went to live in New Zealand um, for a few months and the bug just took off from there. Um, and then after second year in college, I went into Raylan and forgot to come home until the day before my final year in college started. Ended up on an island in Greece, living my best life. Um, 
and it just went on and on. So after third year, I did like the J1 and um, kind of settled down a bit and got into every got into a nice job. So I studied HR, got into AIB where I worked in learning and development, which was great for me because I think it brings me back to the helping people side. So I was like uh, designing and facilitating training programs and seeing that change in people, whether it be from communication, presentation, building confidence. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm starting to find my rhythm now. I'm starting to find where, where I need to be around helping people. Um, and I was really fortunate in that early career to work with some fantastic individuals. And I went from learning and development into organization development, did a bit of recruitment, kind of did a full circle of all the different HR roles but got to a stage and from a personal perspective, um, I bought a house very young. I was like 23. I was just very serious. And I was in a relationship which ended and I was just like, right, need to get back to traveling and packed my bags and broke my parents' hearts and went to South America by myself for three months. Loved it. And moved on to um, back to New Zealand for the third time onto Australia. And my husband, who I met before I went traveling um, thankfully the recession was actually good to us because he got made redundant and came over and the rest is history. So we lived there for a few years and actually got offered sponsorship to stay and run a business in Australia. And it was a real coin toss situation for us going, what do we do? Like we have a lovely life here, but there was so much going on at home. Like um, my brothers were starting to get married, have kids. And there was just different things happening. And we're like, oh, what we do? So we made a decision and um, came home the long way through Asia. Took us a while to get home. Um, but no regrets. So I actually was very, very fortunate, Andrea, that my AAB gave me a career break. So I came back um, to a very, very different working environment. If you think about it, I left... Um, in the Celtic boom, if you want to call it that, um, where like big, big bonuses, um, massive retention payments being paid out. Um, and then back to a, just on the way out of a recession, Ireland, where the work I was doing was different. The customers were different. It was gone from retention programs to employee morale and employee engagement and it was great that I saw two sides of the coin but it was just very stark and very different um, and I settled back into organization development went to recruitment then for a while I went into change management which I loved um, and then ended up as a HR business partner and I think that's where the coaching bug got me and um, so that would have been about six years ago um, about 20 End of 2014, start of 2015, I became a HR business partner. And obviously then you're expected to coach leaders. It's part of your role. And thankfully for me, I actually was coached as well. Um, so when you're at that kind of senior table, you go through that kind of team coaching, like you would do with Pentagon, like with other organizations. So I was a member of that team. Um, so I was coached and got to coach. And I just thought, Jesus, this is different. Nobody had ever asked me about values, passions, gold really before I just kind of floated through HR because I just followed organically what I like to do and um, so I went to study in 2017 and um, I did the PLE with the Kingston um, and I have to say around the same time as discovering coaching I also discovered well-being um, and 
something just triggered inside me um, and it happened kind of be by default but it happened at the right time for me um, and I was immersed in it from a research perspective because of a work project and so when I finished the um, PLE the mental health and well-being coaching course was just starting and I was like oh, sure geez I'd have to give that a go <laughs> so I did that um which I loved absolutely loved it was a different sort of course it was very deep very emotive you got very deep yourself you know yourself on these courses you're being coached as well as you're learning how to coach and it just further solidified that coaching or the well-being passion for me and I yeah I was very fortunate in my career as a HR business partner to be able to blend the day job with coaching with well-being but it got very busy very quickly and I'm the sort of individual I like to give 110%, but it got to a stage where two very young kids was pregnant on my third. My husband has a busy job. I had a busy job. And we just kind of lost ourselves in the madness of work and parenting and living. And I had a lot of time to reflect after the third baby. And I think my passion for well-being was absolutely there, but my role the more senior I got, the more I was moving away from that well-being type initiatives. I was hiring other people in to do the well-being. And the coaching was still there, which was fantastic. But it was being just a lot of more demands on my time, a lot of pressure. And I absolutely loved my job. But I think that third maternity leave gave me a lot of time for reflection. And I'd be a bit of feel the fear kind of person. Just do it. So I just thought, you know what? I'm going to leave. And I remember sitting my parents down and saying, I'm going to leave my job. Like, and you can imagine, but it's in the bank and it's a great pension and it's nine to five and you're doing great and you're on a career trajectory. Are you mad? And I was like, yeah, but I'm, I, I know I can give more if I follow my passion. So there was a lot of conversations, even with my husband, he was like, oh my God, <laughs> we've three kids. And I was like, just trust me. I know that I have enough motivation, grit and determination to make something work. So um, trust me. So I did and I left the end of 2019 and set up my own business as Donna Riley Wellness. On the very first day of lockdown, Andrea, is when I signed my official papers. I remember sitting in the office in the Enterprise Partnership Board and Leo Varadkar coming out in the steps of Dublin Castle. And I remember myself and um, the lady I was doing going, this is a bit mad, isn't it, that they're closing schools? Sure couldn't last more than two weeks, would be grand. And that obviously was the start. So I think what last year, as all of us taught me, that resilience that we have, the inner resilience that we don't even know about, that we have as human beings is remarkable. And I think for me, obviously like everyone else, homeschooling and parenting, work and living, but it, it was trying to establish and build a business in the midst of all that was, and still is, crazy. But it's given me time to really reflect and establish where I think my niche is. Whereas I think if I had a set up and gone straight ahead, busy, 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 I would have just went after whatever landed on my lap. Whereas now I've had a bit more time to really think about where is it in that wellness industry or where is it coaching? And is it coaching nine to five Monday to Friday or am I doing something else? So it's given me that time, which I probably wouldn't have had um, if it wasn't for the situation we found ourselves in last year. Mm. So that's me in a nutshell. 
that's a nice nutshell. I have loads of questions, but let me ask you one. Um, just to, just to see if you can cast your mind back to the moment where you went, okay, that's it. I need to take this leap of faith and move out of this um, uh, AIB job. Just because I think a lot of people have found themselves in that situation at the moment, and a lot of them wouldn't have, um, you know, that... I need to do this. I really need to do it regardless of the fear. And I remember, I remember a friend of mine going on his own, uh, leaving a big company to go on his own, completely different industry. It's about eight years ago. And he asked me at the time, he said, what do you think? I said, look, are you, are you scared? And he said, yeah. I said, go for it. You know, fear is going to drive you. And it's blooming. He just can't get enough, you know, time is in the day. It's the business he has. But tell me about, if you can go back to that for a minute. I think, again, it comes back to a bit of the coaching that I've had. And I've been so fortunate to work with some amazing coaches. Um, And the common theme that kept on arising was not I shouldn't. And I don't mean that way, but how I'm interpreting is you shouldn't be an employee. You could absolutely make a go for yourself. So there were little kind of messages coming in. And I think. I started within my organization to, so I introduced the first wellbeing program in AIB and then helped others do it. And I, any business area I went to work with, I kept on introducing wellbeing. And I got to a stage where we were kind of, I had a forum set up where we were kind of sharing and learning. And I was like, oh, this just feels right. And I think what the turning point for me was I actually applied and was successful for a role in wellbeing, um, a really, really nice role. Um, and that gave me that confirmation of Jesus, I can do it. So if they they can see I can do it, and they're offering me this role, then there must be something in this. And now I'm a big fan of the universe and sending messages. I actually found out I was pregnant with my third child that very week, um, and didn't end up taking up the role, which probably is a blessing in disguise because I wouldn't be where I am today um, if I had to work it differently. So I think it's a combination of the coaching that external validation and just that fire in my belly every time I focused or got the opportunity to work in that well-being coaching space. Um, And I am a bit spontaneous. Am I? Yeah, I am a bit spontaneous for for some things. Other things I'm very planned. But I'm like, gosh, go on. What's the worst that can happen? I could stack shelves and spire. I I could go back and get another job somewhere else. Or I was just very optimistic um, and did it and I, I remember having a conversation with my boss at the time and even when I was having that conversation going what are you doing Donna are you mad stop talking don't say those words but I just did it and no regrets Andrea like zero 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 regrets um, which is wonderful that's brilliant and before we get into the Donna Riley wellness uh, business that you now have, just uh, I'm always curious about, you mentioned uh, talking to your um, ca- um, career counsellor, whatever they call career yeah. advisor, counsellor, uh, and wanting to help people. But where does that come from? Is, you know, is, is it family? Is it a- oh, no, that's a really good question. I think, yeah, a bit of family. So... Like my mom would be very like always like helping people and going above and beyond for others. So there's a bit of it there, but I think I just it was just in me. I just wanted to make it. When I think when I was 18, I wanted to help people, but then now I'm going. I want to help people make a difference in their lives. So I'm a bit more focused on the help and peace. But I remember just thinking, um, 
that I wanted to help people in all aspects. Um, and I don't know whether it's down to, so I would have always been like, say when people are like, oh, I, I'm like, I want you on the basketball team, but I don't want to. I'm like, why can't you? Why can't you play basketball? Of course you can. Go play. You know, so I think I always would have been that person in the background going, she can do anything you want to do. Just, just what's the worst that can happen? Give it a go. So I think it was that positivity slash need to help people. Um, yes, I don't know exactly where it came from other than I've always known it. Okay, that's good. And so, so then your time in AIB and all that uh, well-being and the corporate well-being and now working on your own and do you still work with individuals? Sorry, you work with individuals. Do you still work with corporates? And, and yes. So, um, what, what has changed since, uh, since your early days of uh, corporate? Oh, wow. Um, I remember the first wellbeing program um, and it was actually to do with absenteeism. They wanted to, it was for one of the business areas they supported and they were looking to reduce absenteeism. And we're like, right, we need to remind people of the absenteeism policy. And I was like, well, do we, we could do that, but could we do something different as well about actually finding out why, what's going on for them? Why are they sick? And can we try and educate from a wellness perspective? And they're all looking at me going, no, what? But I had a fantastic leader that was heading up that um, area at the time. He was amazing, still is amazing. And he was like, well, what do you think you'd need to do this? And I was put, pulled together a business case with a budget and he's like off you pop go on I'll give you six months and see what you can do and after six months I came back and I was like here's the stats here's where your engagement was here where it is now the absenteeism's dropped and here's how much money you've saved um from people not coming to work if you like um so he's like all right we're, we're on something here so the program grew and grew and grew but I think at that time it was very much physical nutritional education and I again from him I was very lucky to go towards the mental health area um, and I remember saying to him um, I think I'm going to bring in Brezzy and he was like um, what why and I was like because he has a message and he has a voice and I really think it will open up doors to make it safer for us to go there with this program and so like he was like, come on, George, go on, then bring him in. And he always says that was the game changer. That was that made the difference. Because after that, people were like my mother, my father, my daughter, my son suffers with this, this and this. And isn't it fantastic that I come to work to get educated on mental health, that I can be a better father, parent, whatever it might be. And he would have said at the time, he goes, I can't tell you the difference the program has made, but I can feel it when I walk into the building. And I was like, that's all you need. So I think to answer your question, I think from, if I look back six years ago where it was, and absolutely that's one positive of um, the pandemic, well-being is everywhere. Like I think what's happened to well-being in the last 12 months would have taken another six or seven years to get us to where we are. Like it's at the forefront in organizations. They see it as a tangible benefit to employees. It's part of the business strategy. Like that's utopia. That like you, you couldn't get that. In, and I always feel with organizations four or five or six years ago, it was great to do and it was great to have. But if budgets came in, it was the first thing to get dropped. Whereas now it's up there. 
it's seen as a strategic imperative, which is absolutely amazing. So I think where corporates are now is they're actively going out looking for well-being, um, which never would have happened. So we're further along the journey. I think two things I would love to see is well-being owners within organizations. And um, and I've listened to, to some of your other guests and I've been chatting to so many organizations the last year about this. It's usually an initiative that gets given to the person who has a passion for well-being and it's tagged on top of their day job. Um, and it's done from the heart. It's done from the right place and it's done really well. But I think for organizations to truly take it serious is that there's a dedicated well-being owner in a senior position that's responsible for the program in the organization. And the second thing is, and I get where we are at the moment, um, there's it's there and it's it's in the forefront in organizations and corporates' minds. Um, but there's there's a bit of a, a tendency to just just do, let's get something for well-being, let's get something for well-being. And not a sticky plaster approach. I don't mean that they're doing it from the absolute right intention. Um, but putting things in a place to try and help people for the times that we're in. Whereas if you were to have that strategic view, you're saying, right, what's our vision? What's our goals? What's our mission? What's our program going to look like? What do the employees want? What's our return on investment? What's our measurement? So I think it's, it's absolutely fantastic that it's happening and it's there and it's topical and it's making a difference to so many people. Um, but in my mind, to do it right, it needs to be run like any other strategic initiative within your corporation or your organization. But yeah, I think it's definitely one of the benefits I'll take from COVID is how well-being has been amplified to the top of corporate's agendas. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I like the idea of the of the well-being owner. So you, for, you yeah. if if I were to come to you, if I run a big company, I came to you and said, Donna, look, I want a well-being program. So the first person you would ask, you say to me, look, give me somebody to be the owner of that program that I can work with. And it, and is that within the organization then? Like would be my CFO or whatever it may be. How, what's uh, the best person to have? And how? Not necessarily. Hmm. Not necessarily. So I think some um, organizations are in the fortunate position where they can nearly outsource it. So they have a well-being provider and they may have somebody in HR or somebody in comms or somebody in the business that is the counterpart or the relationship manager side but the well-being program is very much run from an external provider and they do things like diagnostics run the program get the feedback return like assess the, the evaluation and um, for the smaller organizations it seems to be a person and usually a person in HR or in it kind of sits with sometimes with pensions and benefits kind of reward and benefits mm-hmm. sorry or it might sit with like employee engagement or in that kind of HR type sphere and it's usually somebody who, depending on the organization, where they see it should fit. And that individual then takes it on and it's their responsibility. So I think it, it works. If it's in-house, it's a person. But I would always say, and again, from the conversations I've had with corporates in the last year, is it's fantastic that you have it and you get to implement it but you need champions on the ground and you need ambassadors to try and spread that message for you and to try and get the, the, the program, give it some legs and give it some traction. So, um, yeah, I think some organizations are blessed to be able to outsource others do it, do it in-house, but do it very well too. Okay. Now, if I go, um, I was looking at your website this morning, um, and I put the link on the, on the show notes, but, um, 
sorry. Um, sorry, something um, You do different things. You, apart from the, the well-being, you also do your one-on-one and team coaching. Who, who comes to you? Who, who, who do you attract? Who is the person <laughs> you know, that knocks on the door and says, Donna, I love your profile on your website and whatever. I heard about you. Who's the person who comes to you? Do you know, Andre, it's funny, it's different to when I worked full time, like as in, in an organization doing coaching, the profile has definitely changed. It's women, um, all women, interestingly, um, who are have multiple responsibilities. So what I mean by that is um, they're a parent, they're a carer, they have a career, they've... Um, people who depend on them and they're busy very very busy and they come to me for different things some are someone's burnout um how do I get a balance I've lost me in all this how do I get myself back um some interestingly a bit of isolation because the current restrictions have taken all my outlets from me and now I, I'm completely isolated. So yeah, and age-wise, I'd say early 30s right up to retirement age. Um, but yeah, women, which is funny and it's interesting. And this is what I mean by last year, give me the time. When I started to attract the clients that I attracted, it gave me the opportunity to develop my niche into that area and to... Um, so say last night I did a soft launch on a workshop for women around work-life balance and self-care um, and it was lovely because it, it was created over a long period of time with all those women that I'm working with in mind and I just knew it would benefit women like me like I'm a mom I'm working I'm parent and on, I always use the analogy of you're doing everything from four walls whereas before you could leave and drop kids to school or go to work or go to your exercise everything now is happening in four walls and that creates anxiety that creates stress that creates those blurred boundaries so I think for me that's where my focus is in terms of any workshops or programs I develop at the moment is because that's who's coming to me. So that's who I'm going to serve. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and also I know because we had a conversation in the past about um, children and you, you're very, you know, well, wellness of children, wellness is, is high on your agenda. And uh, tell me a bit about that, how you approaching that and what, what are you offering in terms of uh, or what you like to offer? Um, so for me, the, the whole well-being thing obviously started around 2015 and I was again very fortunate I went to I still do go to a lot of events summits conferences around it and anytime anybody got up to talk about kids mental health and it's weird Andrea like my tummy would literally do a somersault literally do a somersault and I'm like all right there's something in this here <laughs> this obviously is important to me and it kept on happening and happening and happening and it's something I've always kept an eye on and we had this conversation before but there's something that won't let me fully go after it. But I'm okay with that. I think it will happen organically. Um, so what I've done is, and again, it, it was always on my plan, but I think um, COVID definitely made me, push me to it further. So I um, signed up for a kids mindfulness course. 
more for myself as a parent and to help other parents. Um, and it's lovely. And so what my future offerings, I hope, will be is that it's a course for parents to practice mindfulness with their children um, quickly, like knowing what questions to ask, knowing how to do a mindful exercise with them, knowing that if homeschooling is going completely wrong, that you can take time out, do a bit of breathing and come back to it when you all feel a bit better. Just simple, tangible tools and techniques. And the other part of that is, is actually with the kids, practice the mindfulness with them. Um, so obviously current restrictions will are preventing me from doing that at the moment. Um, but there, that's kind of start of the kids' journey. And it's funny, and I keep on saying organically, and I don't know if I'm saying, let it go organically, because I'm, I'm afraid to give it my full attention. So there's definitely something there. I always think of that force field analysis. What's holding me back? What's pushing me towards us? Um, but lately I've been thinking of, do I do something in that space? Like, do I do something around kids psychology? Do I, so I, I'm, I'm on that periphery of, is it an, is it a lovely addition to my business or is it my business? Mm. And I don't know where I, I don't, I, at the moment I'm happy to explore that. Mm. Um, as we move through 2021. Nice. But it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely there. And actually, that's that brings me to my next question, which is, um, you know, we learn all these lovely things uh, through the coaching, and we we practice it with our clients, and we see the transformation. We see all of that. How good are you bringing it at home and using it at home in your own home? <laughs> coaching. Mm. Um, oh, oh, you know that kind of conversation. I know your kids are probably too small, but maybe maybe your um, husband. Well. <laughs> Oh, I wish he was here to answer this question for himself um, <laughs> in a nice way. So I, yeah, like he's, he's brilliant, but he would say, and I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, blowing my own trumpet by saying that he would say, I wouldn't be where I am if Donna hadn't made me realize I could do it. Um, and I love that. And he, he does this likewise for me. Like I wouldn't be where I am now if he didn't say, go on, follow your passion. So I think we've that we've a lovely balance of trying to support each other. Um, but yeah, and I think as a coach, you can never coach your, those people close to you, but you can actually ask the questions <laughs> mm-hmm. when and if needed. So I do think it's part of my life. Like I'm naturally curious, so I naturally want to ask those questions. And I, I love finding out what people's passions are. And it's so interesting with my kids. And um, so my eldest is nine and I've, uh, so Senan is nine, Oren is six and Nessa is one. So not much coaching happens with Nessa, but definitely with Senan who's nine, I can feel um, I'm fascinated by his passions and what he gravitates towards and how they're so different. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, we definitely, and it's unfortunate because I would always use that school run in the morning as a as a time to check in with them and to check in on their heads. How are they feeling? What are they looking forward to this week? Just as a gentle way of exploring them and letting them know they can do whatever they want to do, um, really. So yeah, I think it's, they're a bit young, but it's definitely something that I, I sprinkle around them um, and obviously with the kids stuff we we regularly meditate and um, to to obviously with boys with a lot of high energy in the house so we regularly use that meditation as a way to calm them as well before they go to bed so yeah it works well i love that uh, sprinkle uh, yeah. that's a, a nice uh, nice visual now 
I can't let you go off before I ask you to go back to the beginning of the conversation. Um, your great grandmother, the Queen of Moore Street. Now, for people that don't know Moore Street, I came to Ireland 30 years ago. Uh, I think the first time I, the first place I stayed, actually I came to Ireland longer than, earlier than that, but the first place I stayed was in the north side, uh, Gardner Street, and I went to Moore Street the first day. And it was the most fascinating thing ever. I know it's changed slightly, uh, but tell me a bit, a bit more about the Queen of Moore Street. Um, what year was it, Andrea, that you, uh, well, that you would have been on Moore Street? 91. So you definitely would have seen my grandmother. Um, so if you walk up Henry Street and you turn right onto Moore Street, she was the first fruit and veg stall on the left-hand side. So And she was a tall, formidable woman. So you definitely would have, have met her. Um, so my grandmother was Rosie Johnson. So Rosie was as formidable as her daughter-in-law. So she was... Um, back in those days, only men could drink in bars but that wasn't happening for Rosie she'd be in there having her, her glass of Guinness and um, she was on the late late she there's songs and books written about her and she died um, in 1988 and her funeral was on the front of the independent the, like all the newspapers and like tea shocks everyone president everyone's at her, her funeral and she, her her coffin was carried down Moore Street um, and it's lovely. Like, I'm so proud of that part. And as we all are, all our grandchildren, all our great-grandchildren, we're very, very proud. My my memory of her is going to see her in her home, um, in a nursing home where she she lived for, for the um, latter years of her life and getting in trouble because I kept on standing on her toes. Um, but my grandmother then, who's not her daughter, it's my her daughter-in-law, she um, worked in Murray Street all her life. And I remember I was fascinated by it. Like, and I I think back now, she works six days a week. She was on the bus into town at 6 a.m. in the morning and my granddad might pick up 6 or 7 p.m. in the evening. Like snow, wind, rain, hey, everything. She would set up that stall. When you think of the physical energy that took and that mental energy and had four young boys at home um, and a husband who worked. So to me, that's that ultimate boundaries, blurred work-life balance, self-care. Where is it? So I think that always sticks in my mind as well. But she she was brilliant. Like, And we all had to work on the stall. Um, we all got our stint on the stall, um, whether it be bagging monkey nuts at Halloween or selling uh, Christmas wreaths um, at Christmas time. And we all had to brought through the setup, taking the money, um, closing it down in the evening. So it was fantastic learning for us. Um, and fantastic grounding on what it was to run a business. And it's only now that I'm in my own business, I really think a lot about her and how resilient she was and how motivated she must have been, but how passionate. Like that was her social network. They were her best friends. They were her her family as well. So there was a lovely um, connection there. And I like all my friends, I went to school in, uh, went to college in NCI just down the road. And we all would walk up at lunchtime. And, and when I worked in the IFSC as well, we'd all go up at lunchtime, get our apple and our orange from Peggy. Um, and I was very proud of it and still am very, very proud of it. So yeah, it's a huge part of my history. That's brilliant. And I, I, the reason I asked that question is when you were talking about the corporate, the, the well-being and wellness and, and resilience, that's, uh, that is uh, more street really in a nutshell, isn't it? And yeah. it's all there. 100%. And, yes, uh, I love that. That's really true. 
<laughs> uh, no, I'm fascinated by the, the place. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great part of uh, the Irish history. So um, before I let you go, Donna, tell me about a book that you recommend. It doesn't have to be with the coaching, anything at all that you say, go off and read this, you'll love it. Um, now, Paula will kill me. I'm actually not great at those theory coaching type books <laughs> I love to learn by doing it's just me I, I throw me into a situation and I'll, I'll learn best that way but I do think there's a book that I read um god you're all around that time that coaching came into my life it all just happened around the same time and it's the monk who sold his Ferrari have you ever read it by Robin no. Sharma no. I'll get it Andrea it's a wonderful book and it's very short you could read it in a day you could read it in a couple of days it's very it's about this lawyer high-profiled, executive-driven, career, 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 and had a heart attack one day in um, the courtroom and just had a whole U-turn on his life and ended up going to the Himalayas and living with monks. And it was all about finding your purpose in life. Um, And he was very much about happiness is when you find what you're great at and put all your direction and all your energy into that. And that's when you find your happiness and your, your secret sauce. Um, it's a lovely book. And I've actually rec- it's battered and torn. I actually donated it to a library there a couple of weeks ago, but I've given it to so many people. Um, I'm actually now, I'm a, if I'm allowed to, I'm going to cheat here because I actually have one that I'm reading at the moment, which is um, Tuesdays at Mori. Similar actually along the same kind of wavelength so this is i love these sort of books those kind of there's a story to them but you learn so much from them as well so i definitely recommend you get the monk of sodas ferrari you'll enjoy it i shall do that and let me ask you the very last question uh, we're doing something at the moment with, with a lust for life we call it it's a campaign called um, hunt for hope um and I, I think it's lovely people sending in stories on what they hope 2022 is going to look like what's your hope <laughs> would you believe I already submitted my hope hunt for hope um, and it's very when I think about it now it's not very deep um, but I just cannot wait to be on a girls holiday where we are sitting on the sun loungers with a cocktail in hand having just those real deep belly laughs and chatting about nothing and everything where the only care we have in the world is what we're going to wear out that night to me I miss it so so much and I cannot wait and so much so that we've set up a fund and we put money in every week because we're just like this has happened as soon as we can make this happen we are gone we're on the plane we're on the sun lounger we're drinking the cocktail so that's absolutely my hunt for hope for 2022. That's fantastic well Donna Riley thanks a million for your time really appreciate it. Thank you I really enjoyed this you're very good thank you. And I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Donna. If you wish to be featured on the podcast or know someone that would make a great guest, please contact me by my website, andreasplendori.com or at asplendori at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.